0: This is Rings of Hell, a Olympics LA and Knock LA production, examining the history, impact, and possible future of the Olympic Games in Los Angeles.
1: They have a lot of money and he has brand name recognition and he's like a telegenic schmoozy guy, but like I don't think, I don't think his absenteeism, his ignoring of all sorts of issues, his, his like cavalierness about like climate change and disaster and all disasters that could, could and probably may well happen to us in the next 10 years. Um, I think that brand of just kind of just confident kind of neoliberalism, I think in theory, like either we're all going to die a lot faster or like there's going to be some pushback and this like kind of more emergent left is going to make some gains and make convince a lot of people how foolish that kind of political philosophy is.
0: Episode 10, The Olympic Endgame. So what can we do? Hey all welcome to the final episode of Rings of Hell. I'm joined by a large amount of the DSA LA and No Olympics LA crew, so I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. But just to let you know before we do that, this is gonna be a wrap up, not just of what we've done over the course of this series, but also talking about recent developments, not only in Olympic organizing, but also in politics here in LA and how that's going to affect the bid. But to go around the horn real quick, uh, why don't y'all introduce yourselves?
2: Ariel. Anne.
0: Azad. Johnny. All right, so let's start off close to home. Uh, here in LA, we had the LA84 Foundation holding a uh, holding one of their yearly meetings. Uh, y'all attended that and had some thoughts on that. How did it go?
1: Um, in a nutshell, it was um, this was the LA84 Foundation's annual summit. They put a lot of money. There's a lot of marketing involved. This year's theme was athlete activism and social justice, I believe, uh, some version of that. Um, it was at a Marriott hotel, which. Had, was going under national, there was a national strike, uh, not at all of their locations but happening at that time we showed up um, kind of just generally upset at the premise of you know, they had um, they were using Tommy Smith and John Carlos from the '68 Olympics um, as the graphic that they were using.
3: Billboards all over town.
1: Billboards everywhere. Marketing
3: this to whom? I don't know who can afford to go.
1: Yeah, it was it cost between I think three and four hundred or five hundred dollars to attend. A few of our allies were in attendance, and so they um, they went inside. Some of us stayed outside, and we had kind of prepared this uh, um, a game of bingo that is like unwinnable because we knew that they were going to be touching on and dancing around certain social justice issues but weren't really going to be diving into the weeds so um we came up with a lot of terms like whether it's unhoused or homeless or immigrant or to, um i'm trying to think of other terms and they, they, they touched on a few things but At the end of the day, they didn't touch on enough to create a whole line of bingo anywhere.
2: And a lot of that was foreshadowed uh, a few weeks previously, or maybe it was even a few months previously. They had had a big fancy kind of like gala luncheon um, to present an award. I think it was called the like the John Carlos Legacy Award, similar in the a similar vein, you know, for athlete activists um, and. It, that felt similarly bizarre. They they gave the award to a few athletes who had, you know, been involved basically uh, in some of the protests against police violence and brutality um, and, you know, taking knees during the national anthem. It was the week that uh, Colin Kaepernick's Nike ad came out. His name was not mentioned anywhere. Um, and neither were the terms police violence or brutality. Uh, I think they said racism once or like racial injustice, but at no point in that sort of big... Gala luncheon honoring these athletes who who protested did they actually mention what they were protesting?
1: Oh, right, and there's this is also happening during the midterms when um, you know The prop 10 battle was heating up here in LA in California And we found out that the LA 84 foundation has had millions of dollars invested in in, um, Real estate firms like Oak Tree Capital Blackstone and so the idea which which are helping make Communities less affordable and pushing minorities and people of color um, out of cities and communities, um, to to us, that's like the opposite of social justice, right? Like they're aligning themselves with big capital. And so the audacity that they have to kind of frame, um, this as a social justice forum and summit, um, we, we feel like some of the guests, you know, to their credit are, 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 might be doing good or well intentioned work, but like they didn't make an effort in the booking and in the moderating of the um, the event that really pushed it towards any meaningful conversation about social justice. They literally had Mike Tarico being one of their panelists who was. Um, an admitted um, abuser and uh, harasser and stalker of women in the '90s, but um, and who's one of NBC's like chief like uh, television color commentators. And um, so the idea that they would even have him on the same stage or in the same room as uh, a discussion that would it would be a superficial discussion, kind of later about like athlete abuse, but is just absurd to us. Um, so we went there. Um, a bunch of us got kicked out. We were handing out flyers and we're were like, you know, like if, if you want to play this game while, you you know, during this long, you know, eight hours of conferences and um, and we just put them all over the Marriott and, um, the, you know, the people there were not pleased about that. But um, a couple of our a couple of our allies went in there. They heard all of these things, heard all these presentations. Uh, they transcribed it. They recorded it, documented it. And it's just a big, you know, waste of money. I just don't know what... I don't I don't think it achieved anything for them outside of just being PR and giving the impression that they're, like, doing something. But um, they, they have to spend their millions of dollars on something. And this I'm sure this cost several hundred thousand dollars, at least, to produce.
0: I, I want to ask, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, they're not clearly selling this to the people of L.A. So who are they selling to? Like, are they selling to City Hall? Are they selling to developers? Like, who do you think they're actually trying to persuade with this or keep in their corner
3: it's hard to tell i guess probably people who work in the sports industry like i imagined a lot of people who work at like la live for aeg were the attendees of this summit people who like want to feel like the industry they work in is not inherently exploitative and that they're doing something about the social justice issues that many um of the most famous athletes are talking about more than they are um and I think it's, yeah, it's just to like pat themselves on the back.
1: It's a party, right yeah. Kind of mm-hmm.
3: uh,
2: There are also a lot of you know wealthy liberals in LA who who need a certain amount of reassurance that the thing that they're invested in and like and are making money off of, you know does some good. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of uh, corporations who, you know, for whatever, <laughs> for whatever motivations, whether it's tax havens or just because they they genuinely do want to do something, um, but just you know aren't willing to actually like stop doing bad things. Uh, yeah, the the nonprofit industrial complex is very well suited to provide those kinds of um, yeah both basically provide space, both for that money to go um, to and then also to make people feel good. Like This is something that you can do that doesn't actually like threaten your profit margins, um, but will still like feel nice. I,
0: I do want to ask, because it seems like at least one member of their audience is now in a little bit more peril, and without getting too much into the weeds of LA politics, I think it's important to talk about Jose Wezar, his position on the Planning and Land Use Commission, and how that ties into this whole Olympics push.
2: Uh, yeah, so Jose Huizar, um, he's my personal counsel, representative and council member. He um, comes to your house every night. <laughs> for CD <CD14>. 14, <laughs> sure I, okay. I literally uh, live across the street from his field office, so I see what every morning when I walk my dog, the big Jose Huizar sign. Um, he, you we've know, we've had a
1: meeting there too. I don't know. If we've you had meetings,
2: of, yeah. Like were, I,
1: his staff were completely clueless as to any of the details of what was in the Olympic bid I mean, I mean, which I don't think is unique to his office, no, not to pick every, on them, but it's-
2: every office that we yeah. met with was, yeah, nobody had any idea right before they voted. It was clear that they had made a decision, that he'd made a decision about the bid. Nobody in the office knew anything about the host city contract they were voting on. Um, yeah, and so for, for people who- um, haven't done a lot of opposition research into Jose Huizar, don't live in his district. It might be confusing. Why would he vote on the Olympics? Why would he be such a booster for the Olympics, despite not Knowing what was in the host city contract or really understanding anything, um, but he chairs the planning and land use you know committee, like subcommittee within city council, and also the homelessness and poverty committee. Um, but which means that he is in control of a lot of the decisions that get made around where housing is built. He has a lot of developers uh, who are donors to him. Um, he. It was sort of rumored and understood for a long time that he wanted to be mayor. That he was looking at a, a run for mayor. Um, ultimately, he had a series of scandals that kind of rendered him not a viable candidate, which included both uh, like sexual harassment and affairs within his office, mistreatment of staff, misuse of funds, um, drunk driving incidents. Whatever you got. Whatever you, <laughs> real real grab bag of stuff. Um, I, I
0: do like the sending his staff members to go let his dog out to poop. Like that is probably. Probably the best abusive power.
2: Um, my my favorite anecdote from that from that whole uh, expose was um, that when uh, a staffer would bring him tea and it wasn't hot enough, he would just say the word "tea" over and over and over again until.
1: So, like f- yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, so, um, I mean, that part's not illegal, I guess, but you know, that's <laughs> it's just that. yeah, yeah, just t t t. It's like it,
0: it, he never got out of the toddler stage. Like that's amazing.
2: Right. So he yeah, poor impulse control is mm-hmm. what I think we can learn from that. And um, but so he he was no longer considering a bid for mayor, but. What was rumored slash an open secret is that his wife, Rochelle, was, I guess, well, the part that wasn't a secret is that she was planning on running for his city council seat and that then she was going. So they were trying to build this political dynasty. Um, And so, yeah, there was just a lot of clear dealings happening between the Huizar family and developers. And when you put all of that together, it's like, oh, of course, that's why they want the Olympics. You know why they would say yes to anything? That would be a, a free for all for real estate speculators and developers. So you know, as of this recording, Jose Huizar, uh, his house was you know that he shares with his wife um, was raided by the FBI. We don't know exactly what the charges are and what they're investigating, but everybody's best guess is that it has something to do with this most recent lawsuit around um, misuse of of, sta- of funds for. Um, you know, personal matters related to both his and his wife's, you know, political campaigns and these sexual harassment lawsuits that he was basically using public funds to pay for all of that, um, which would be something that the FBI would investigate, uh, as opposed to some of these more like salacious details, like him screaming at staffers for not keeping his tea hot enough. Uh, but he, uh, yeah. So as of this recording, has been stripped of those. Yeah, his role all of his is on committee these appointments. Yeah. yeah, so he no longer he has no power, up power right now. Yeah, yeah. He, I know
1: he showed up on like Thursday or something, and everyone was like, "What?" Yeah, but he's yeah, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, like I I think it'd be really difficult for them to come back from the, whatever it is. Like yeah. yeah, even not knowing and speculating, <laughs> but like this does not look good for the Huizar dynasty. I,
0: I got really excited when the FBI showed up with a dog because I was like, "Oh, good drugs, like sexy, exciting crime," and then it turns out that it's a dog that sniffs for thumb drives. Hmm. Uh, which I, you know, so clearly they're looking for financial crimes. But. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I think something that I think we'll keep an eye on and want to say is like, you know, what we don't want to let city council get away with or, or just like remind people of in general is like, Huizar, yeah, he has poor impulse control and he's very sloppy and he's not very likable. So I think there were a lot of people who were willing to rat on him, but he is by no means the only member of city council who is involved in these types of dealings. Like we know... um Mitch Englander, I can't remember if this had actually already happened when we recorded. No, it happened. But yeah, Mitch, Mitch Englander is vacating his city council seat. The
0: the only Republican on city council. For those not as as familiar with LA politics,
1: and just to back up and say that, uh, you know, just to remind folks that LA City Council unanimously voted uh, to support the Olympics, to, to bring the Olympics here. So they're all
2: they're all on, they're all
1: on the board. You know, so it doesn't matter who they are; they're all.
2: But yeah, so Mitch Englander, he vacated his seat the day after he he announced that he was resigning. There was sort of a a little bit of a, a, you know, not huge uproar, but like a decent ruffling of feathers because he had, I think maybe like the night before, like the week before or something. No, it was was the night before.
0: It was the night before. Okay,
2: so the night before he had hosted a fundraiser for his his like council, like each council member sort of gets their own slush fund. And so he had had a, an expensive fundraiser with his donors for that fund. And then so people were upset that he had raised this money and clearly already knew that he was going to vacate. Um, and yeah, and so also uh, of note is that he is, uh, he's vacating to take to take a position with a group. Well, basically the group is like, they're like a sports you know sports industrial complex uh they they are one of the firms that essentially like you know you can hire to consult you to build stadiums or or like run bids for mega events like the olympics so clearly you know his involvement in boosting the olympics in los angeles like that had a, that had personal you know that involved personal profit for him in terms what's it yeah, called it's called Oakview. Oakview Group which is so like sinister and meaningless like I thought it was going to be real estate I mean I guess it basically is but Yeah Arena's
1: Arena's real estate
2: Yeah it's like it's a stadium developer yeah um and and so yeah he's so again that's all just to say like Jose Huizar it's probably the most Publicly messy of all the council members, but um, yeah, all of them do this well, shit. It, one
0: interesting thing about Oakview, uh, or about Oakview Group, is that they also have a former interim LAPD chief on them because they also apply for the national security waivers that you need to like not get sued, like MGM, uh, and part of like the national security complex that we talked about in, in previous episodes. So when we first launched this series, it dropped uh, the same week that you all released your survey results, and this is something that uh, No Olympics is doing to try and create not just a public narrative but also create some pressure on uh, elected officials. Uh, So, Azad, tell us about uh, the survey. What were the results uh, and how does this kind of track with the LMU uh, survey that's the only one that's been done
4: before this? Sure. So, LMU... Conducted a phone and online survey, and and they found that eighty three percent, eighty six percent of people that they surveyed like supported the Olympics in in Los Angeles, which is to us a preposterous number. Like no 85 percent of people aren't I don't know are can't be a, in, in support of anything. But yeah, they had a series of the, okay, so they, they 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 had a series of surveys. Um, and two. Two. Yeah.
2: I was just it
4: was more yeah more so one was 88% the other one was 83% the other one i think that might have been
2: 78
4: 78%. 78% which which is which is a, a, a huge number of people it's like saying that they support something um, and the olympics like you know in general like you, at, you can understand it being like p- if people have like nostalgia for something or if, the, if you ask them like well, how do you feel about something and they're like it's great like you can see that um and so we conducted a survey to, to essentially like provide more context and see like okay well like if this Olympics were coming to our city and the Olympics have been in Los Angeles before but like how would it affect you how would and and so we got very different results and and we, we conducted a series of three surveys two of them were smaller and one of them was uh uh, 1100 thousand person survey which is, which is like the bar that essentially people like want when they're publishing results and and our sur- our, our results were generally in line so so we, we we're confident in them um, and so we we got found for the last one that 14 percent of people were like strongly in support of the Olympics coming to Los Angeles maybe another 25 percent were like moderately in support 46 percent of people were were essentially, not in support of Olympics coming, and then another quarter were neutral. So, and and this was actually like the biggest difference between the way that LMU asked the survey and how we asked it because they didn't allow them to say like, I'm neutral to the survey. So you're I and it would be like if you ask someone, well, do you support the Olympics? like like how for the Olympics are you? Like so they they give a positive prompt and then someone will, Naturally, give another positive prompt in in response. But if you if you said if you say like, do you oppose or not oppose the Olympics? It it might like prompt like a little bit of thinking about it. So so we we essentially got a series of of, of responses that were very different from from their from their uh, from their results.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was the the premise was that we felt that the um, LMU uh, polling was incomplete and um not only incomplete but just or they had had been there had been a lot of neutral support like it like everything we've realized we were talking earlier today about how few people showed up for the last mayoral election and how like it, it, or across american politics not just la politics like that a huge swath of the population is either neutral or fully indifferent to different subjects and then we knew and that kind of bears with this as well that more more people are disengaged or neutral on it, then are passionate for it, and so that and that and that's consistent with a lot of our anecdotal findings. Just talking to people and, in LA
4: and getting those results then allowed them to be like, okay, we don't need to ask anyone more else. We don't need to do more public outreach. We don't need to talk about the budget. We don't need to. So so essentially, it's like this this uh, roadblock to democratic um, governance, where like they they have a survey result that's like very very fr- pro, and they don't need to discuss how that survey result right. was was granted or how it was. I'm not going to say manufactured because I don't think they did it in bad faith, but you know, but once they got that, they don't feel like they need to ask any more to, to conduct any more surveys or to like actually do any more public discussion. Everyone
1: kept pointing to it in the process of the bid saying that it is overwhelmingly popular and that gave them all the political capital they needed.
3: I was going to say, it's not just that they don't feel like they need to ask anymore, it's that they know if they do ask more questions to people that they'll realize that it's a crapshoot and that the more that we talk to people, we know the more that they're likely to oppose the Olympics.
1: Yeah, across other cities who have done polling and research and voting on this issue around the Olympics, we've seen consistently across cities, the more people know, whatever the possible risks are in, in their in their individual city at that time, the less likely they were to accept it, right?
2: It's, yeah, it's been a really like interesting to sort of um, exercise or, or witnessing of uh, the crumbling of some of these like neoliberal, you know, technocratic institutions um, and like attitudes around things like polling and surveys too where, uh, and again, so like a lot of us, you know, so like Azad and I, our backgrounds are in this this is what we do it's not to say that this is like like all polls are bad or surveys are bad but that it just requires like like you need to approach it with a critical view and I think a lot of people including local leaders including the media were just like oh this university did a poll and there's a number and like that's the truth and and there was very little willingness to investigate or push forward and it was really interesting like one of the um Well, first of all, it was all another thing that was bizarre to us, too, is, you know, this first uh, poll, this 88 percent, you know, figure that came out was before the 2016 election. And it was very weird post-2016 election hearing anybody be like, well, like we did a poll and like that's the truth. And it's like, did we did we learn nothing from (laughs) this whole experience? Like, why would you think that one poll that was done two years ago can tell you anything about what's happening and how people feel and how they're going to behave.
1: Even if it's flawless, even if right. even if it's the best poll anyone's ever done, but just one poll does not give you like yeah. a sense of time and, and, and uh, that extra Z axis of like how people are changing their opinions. Yeah. On and
2: so like one of the things that was interesting is like one of the critiques that came up a few times with our poll was just like. You know, oh, well, this, you know, this is not like a like purely objective poll because they included this information that it's like it's mostly like negative facts about the Olympics. and they didn't include an equal number of like negative and positive facts. And first of all, it's just like, you know, some of the people, when we'd say like, okay, well, what positive facts should we include? They were all sort of speculative, you know, they weren't like evidence of good things that had happened in the like Olympics. Like it'll make
1: money, right, what well, that was the one?
2: It was like, theoretically, it could make money. And it was like, that's not a fact, first of all. <laughs> like, <laughs> us saying that 90,000 people were displaced in Rio is a fact. Like, nobody was disputing that the information we included in this survey prior to asking people their opinion was not, if they were just saying we should include other facts, but but also you know anyway that sort of gets to the heart of like well what is the purpose of a poll or a survey and there's this sort of like one neoliberal drive that it's like it should be completely objective and neutral and in order to do that you can't give people any information and for us it was more interesting to see like well what happens when you give people real information because that is actually more valuable to us to understand right because people don't make decisions about things like the olympics in a vacuum like they make decisions based on what they know what they understand what they're hearing and so yeah there it's this weird like this weird measure <laughs> or like metric for like how good a poll is is to say like you know if you provide any information whatsoever even if it's accurate therefore it's like oh this is useless or whatever
1: never mind that the bid commissioned its own polls and was doing a version of you know
2: well, they're well, just saying that theirs is more objective or neutral because they, they, well, they provided no context or information to the people who are taking it. So like, they're saying that's a more valuable measurement to have is like, what do people think of the Olympics who know nothing about that? And it's like, what does that matter? Like, This is a real thing that's happening.
0: You asked a really interesting question, which was, uh, what's the point of polling? And I, I want to take that in a different direction where part of your aim as a group doing this poll was to get the rest of the media talking about this. You have gotten some pickup. Uh, the Nation has written about it. Uh, LA podcast here in LA has done some coverage. Do you see the media beginning to pick up that narrative, um, or do you think they're still trying to ignore it?
1: I mean, I don't know if anyone's consciously trying to ignore it, but I think everyone we've spoken to, at the Times covered it. Um, some other people locally might still cover it. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think what what we learned too is just how like little. Just your general journalist uh, covering either sports justice or whatever Olympic beat or housing justice maybe is like not equipped to or not not well trained uh, in polling and surveys. Like I work in media, I'm not like um, the, you know that kind of ties into like the desertification of like LA media and like re- newsrooms that don't maybe have all the resources to like. But nevertheless, people are, are I think trying their best, and we're trying to kind of unpack and like everything we do is some version of like educating people are filling like a hole that is another institution probably should be doing or like that we shouldn't have to do this stuff but um um i I don't know i
3: mean i think it speaks to the same questions that ann was bringing up about like what makes a poll a worthwhile like real poll and i think that we there's still this understanding in the media that like whatever poll we put out just won't be legitimate and so we aren't getting like mass coverage because it's not as if like you know, an objective, like, highly esteemed academic institution was putting this out. But we never had the intention that it would be covered in that way as, like, law, that this was a, an accurate reading. We know that our survey is imperfect as much as the, the past surveys that have been done on the Olympics are imperfect. And the hope in doing this was to get more people talking about it, and especially to put pressure on the media that should be doing these these polling other academic institutions that should be doing this polling. Uh, It shouldn't be us and that shouldn't be the definitive poll that happens. Right, right. And so, so, you know, obviously
1: we're working on kind of making that happen and, and handing off recommendations of if we did have 60 million dollars in our war chest like the bid does and they could easily run the polls we want to if they felt if they were so confident and if any of their opposition people are listening right now if you were so confident that such a vast majority of people in, in la are willing to sign off on this then prove it you know what i mean like y'all have the money to do detailed questionnaires like we did and 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 to do them through an academic institution and a white paper and to give them the kind of you know the the gravitas that they they need um but either way, we're still we're still talking to people. We're gonna we might we may do more versions of these. We may do you know we're doing informal polling and talking to people all the time and documentation of our findings. We're tying in with some oral histories. So it's not just surveys and polling, but for certain people, just the idea of this and just the statistics is a way in for them. And I, I think more than anything, it just creates casts more doubt on their original numbers more than anything, and and and, and begs for more more work to be done on this. And so, if you're listening out there. <laughs> And you run polls and you're interested in this stuff. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think it is valuable and interesting that among all the critics, you know, who maybe went for the fact that like just like weird erroneous things about our methodology like things they assumed like that's that's kind of what they went for nobody responded and said like oh well clearly these numbers are wrong because everyone really wants the olympics like they're believe i think most people who see that believe it it mm-hmm. like stacks up and honestly it's like if the numbers had come back from our survey and they'd been like 90% of people are opposed then i would i would step back and say like maybe there is something in our methodology that's a little wonky and we need to redo yeah. this but those numbers they feel like we didn't you know know what they would be and they came back on all three surveys that we did like pretty consistently and they track with the conversations that we have with people which are and we've had lots of conversations with people and we've been talking about this and we've been out in LA and around California for the last couple years and like intuitively it it tracks that like a very small segment of people support the olympics no matter what and then there's like a few more people who aren't quite as boostery there's a big chunk of people in the middle who don't give a shit and then everybody else which is about half of the people don't want them to some degree either like really don't want them or just kind of like this doesn't sound like it's worth it I think the polling shows
3: us, or at least gives me some hope, about what a ballot initiative around the Olympic bid would look like, because it shows that when people are forced into conversation around it, that they are maybe more inclined to swing to the negative side than positive. And at least the majority are neutral. Neutral people don't vote. So mm-hmm. at least that works out well but for us. But most yeah.
1: people, I think, unless you're a developer, unless you're like a, a, a child of an Olympian or an Olympian yourself, like, through the process of like a vote or a ballot initiative in the education and I, I think the media would have to show up more than it did then if we did have it on the ballot and it would i think but is that in most people it is not in most people's like personal self-interest yeah, yeah. and material and, interest. and
0: there was actually there was a ballot initiative recently in uh, calgary there was a, a vote on whether or not to continue their bid uh, let's talk about that because that seems to feed into the, the narrative that y'all are pushing, that the more people hear about the Olympics, the less they want them to come. And especially when given the choice about whether or not to to invite them.
1: Yeah. yeah, like a month ago, right down the street from the offices where we're recording this, I had breakfast with Daniel from No Calgary as they were heating up for this. It's been a very contested. It's been like it was a dogfight to an extent. Like, um, But they, but they um, I forget what the final numbers was, It like 55 to 45-ish. It wasn't far away from... You know, the amount of opposition that we've shown through our polling, you know, it's in that ballpark of space. Um, Calgary is a place like Los Angeles. They have hosted the Olympics before, there's a little bit of that you know magic pixie dust good hangover in the air or they are or so they thought but they've been fighting it tooth and nail I would say they're probably a little bit more centrist on a lot of things and in, in general they're not coming from like a socialist organization but a lot of their critiques are similar and especially on the on the, on the, the lack of democracy lack of transparency diversion of resources we can all we can all agree with um, and they ran a successful campaign for and this is for the 2026 Olympics. There's only two cities left and those are um, very embattled bids already. And it looks very possible that the the IOC may, might have zero people in 2026. But all the cities that have been bidding for that have been going through like a similar process of like get it out for the public, get polling if you can, get the media to discuss it and debate it. You know, there were pro op-eds, there were anti op-eds. Um, there's just a lot of commotion around it. like. I mean, it, unfortunately, not what we had last year around this.
2: Around this. Um, and something that's interesting with that, with the sort of even like pro op-eds is you could see a lot of people who started off as boosters who, like Johnny was saying, like don't share our politics or our rationale and... Um, we see this every day. We had like a Twitter exchange with someone last night, basically who are who have these sort of fantasies of how the Olympics could operate in terms of like, oh well, maybe we could use these funds for this thing. But again, when this stuff actually comes into the light and people have discussions and people start to realize, like, oh wait, we're on the hook for how much money, or you know, this is contractually forbidden. Like we're locked into this particular deal, and this is how the numbers shake out. Even the people who are in theory are in favor, are usually in favor because they're working with sort of, um, they're working with inaccurate and optimistic information.
0: Mm. And so here in L.A., uh, with Mayor Garcetti uh, clearly lining up to run for president.
3: I'm Eric Garcetti, I'm Mayor of Los Angeles. I believe that it is America's cities that can
1: breathe hope back into this sometimes fragile and even damaged democracy. You know, we see in Los Angeles and other cities, the true American spirit, which is one of generosity, one that embraces
3: each other, and one where everybody belongs, especially our young people.
5: Hay gente que siempre quiera callarte, hay gente que nos quiere la oscuridad, gente vacía sin corazón para escucharte, llenos de egoísmo, es su debilidad.
0: Uh, what do you think that says about the ability to pressure him or the ability to pressure city council? Because it seems like the Olympic bid is quickly becoming an orphan bid, like it's been set off to run. But the people that are all in charge of it seem to have other priorities.
1: Right. I mean, you know, like we've said, two out of the 12 people that voted, or I guess 13, if you count the mayor who voted for this, are like not in the picture anymore and is of the last month. Eric Garcetti will be either in Dianne Feinstein's seat in a couple years or somewhere else. Either way, he won't be in the mayor's office. That leads a huge vacancy. There are already people, I think, that work downtown who are not a huge fan of Eric Garcetti's absenteeism and other um, projects he's kind of going rogue with. Uh, So they might not all be on the same page the way they were like 18 months ago on a lot of issues. And there's a lot of discord. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of open seats now. I think it all works breaks in our advantage. Yeah, breaks our we direction. can make sure
3: that the Olympics are a linchpin issue when we are talking to any candidate who hopes to take over one of these offices, and when we're hopefully running our own candidates, they we can make sure that this is an issue that everyone is talking about in these races.
2: Yeah, the landscape is very different from when they voted. I mean, like. Putting myself in the shoes of a city council member, I can see why it would be a no brainer for them in a lot of ways to vote yes on this bid despite knowing nothing about it. Um, You know, their boss at the time, Eric Garcetti, even though I mean, our city council has sort of an unusual relationship with the mayor in terms of power dynamics, but to a large extent, like they all work very closely together. Something that came up that was interesting when I was just researching the history of various votes on bids in cities, and uh, I did you know, some additional background research into Charter Amendment N, which was the, um, what was voted on in 1978 for the 1984 Olympics. And that was just interesting to read about because they were mentioning there were some open conflicts between city council members and between the mayor in terms of supporting the bid and how they, and just the idea of like, Oh, city council and the mayor would openly disagree with one another and like vote differently on things. Like our city council votes unanimously on everything. Um and so well,
1: the 12 eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like
2: knowing that that they have these agreements, they all support each other that this is how things work. It's like at that point in time, there was really no downside for them to vote on the Olympic bid. It's like they were doing a favor for Eric Garcetti, who they work very closely with, and to probably there were like a few individual members of City Council who wanted it. There was no oppos- like no organized opposition until we came on the scene, and yeah, there was just no downside. Whereas now, it's like. You know, two years from now, Eric Garcetti is just off and running and doing his own thing. He's not there. You know, his political career, I think we can sort of safely assume, is going to tank. It's not. It's not going to really be beneficial to any of the folks who are still holding office to like have a favor from Eric Garcetti. Um, Well, and seeing someone like Garcetti tank,
3: I think, is another example of like you know liberal Democrat ideology just. Tanking at this point as well. Like you, you have to push a little bit leftward to I, get at any of. Well,
4: also the 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 problems in our city and the problems in our country are just so much more stark and and in everyone's faces. And the fact that that these council members like really don't have uh, comprehensive solutions for any of them, like. Are, Really show what the cracks are, uh, and like something like the Olympics, like in uh, any effort being put put towards the Olympics, when we have fifty five thousand people and uh, like homeless. And I think there was a there was a op ed that came out today, in, in uh that in essentially one of the school districts, like a, a quarter of the children were was it a quarter or three quarters?
1: I mean, but the Steve Lopez, yeah, but I, uh, I, I were homeless. homeless, a significant right? percentage, of-
4: and 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 these these. Like these issues aren't going away, and like they're gonna become more. They're gonna become more more focal points for these council members at, at as it come, as like we move forward.
0: I I want to ask about the little leaguers for Garcetti. Uh, in in the context of y'all beginning to get some backlash yourself, because up until like recently, it seems like City Council Garcetti have treated you just as gadflies, as something to be ignored. Now they're mentioning you by name in their attacks.
1: Little leaguers. Yeah, yeah we have a weird. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if troll is fair, but with, there's a weird Twitter presence out there. Um, who uh, I don't know what I can say about this person. We've tried. We try to ignore this person. I think at the end of the day, they sent us. They sent us an audio recording that I shared with yeah, you. Yeah, no, we're gonna splice that in. We're gonna it's splice so that in. Weird. It's so weird. Yeah, should we cut to that now? Yeah. Okay.
6: Hey there. This is uh, Barton. I'm a leader of a group of Little League coaches and dads based out of Culver City here in L.A. who support our mayor. Uh, As someone who grew up under the great leadership of Eric's dad, Gil, I wanted to say Mayor Garcetti's background and commitment to youth sports is something we take very seriously as volunteer coaches who maybe interfere a little too much in the lives of our sons. Uh, I know the No Olympics folks are going to tell you a lot about displacement. I mean, that's what they keep saying. That's all they say. I'm not so sure who is displaced. You all realize these hotels aren't permanent, yeah? They're temporary places to sleep, and there's great stuff there like mini bars, free cable. You know, sometimes they've got pools or gym areas. Anyway, I just wanted to drop a quick line. I love L.A., and the Little Leaguers for Garcetti are so excited for the Olympics in 2028. Uh, my son is actually going to be in his 20s then, and uh, who knows? But, yeah, that's where we're at. It can't be a bad thing if it's sports, and nobody's going to be displaced. I think that's obvious. I know these people are trying their best, but sometimes I feel i got to speak up when I know they're objectively wrong. So thank you, Gold Clover City Royals. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter to keep up, at Mayor Lil League. Uh, that's Lil, L-I-L, Mayor Lil League. Thank you so much, Uh. They're wrong, but, you know, good people.
2: You know, I think, like, something that we'll also probably anticipate seeing change soon, and this gets to what Azad was just saying about, um, you know, a lot of these, like, huge civil rights issues in our city just becoming worse over time is, you know, one of the tax that a lot of our opposition, including folks in city council have taken, have been not even to treat us like gadflies, but like as people who make good points, but that they'll just ignore them or just will give lip service to. Like this happened, we went to, um, there have been a lot of like design conferences around the Olympics. Uh, Again, sort of another attempt to like loop in like, you know, rich progressive folks in LA who like work in the arts and, and have some sort of bend towards social justice, um, but, again, don't really know about what's going on. And we went to one of their events uh, in May and were asking, it was architects, it was a a group of architects. Architects
1: and architectural designers.
2: Yeah, yeah. talking about how do we design a more inclusive Olympics, and and we showed up and we're asking them, like, how, you know, (laughs) how can you be asking this question when, like, Having better design isn't going to help us with our housing and homelessness crisis. It's not going to help us with policing. Like, what does this mean? And and their attitude was sort of like, oh, it's so like good for you for being so concerned about social justice. Like, uh, that's kind of the attitude we've gotten. We've gotten that from city council too. You know, uh, Gil Cidio said to us the one time we were allowed to give public comment. (laughs) Literally. um, Literally, the one time we were allowed to give public comment, his response was something like you know, will the Olympics end homelessness? Probably not, but like maybe one, like, maybe like it'll good, inspire maybe stuff. it'll inspire someone So it'll inspire some child who's watching the games to like do something great for this city and it was this sort of weird nod to like oh, like thanks for, thanks for the reminder like now we're gonna go back to ignoring you but my guess is that a lot of this stuff that they're saying on the record now that they don't think people are listening to is gonna come back and bite them, it's, I mean yeah, that we're honestly, keeping the
1: receipts of every possible public or semi-private or semi-public or any space we can be in, like we're keeping the receipts and part of our job, I think is for the next 10 years is reminding people of decisions they made, things they've said, things they've committed to.
2: Eric Garcetti, I mean, this this sounded incredibly out of touch and stupid even when he first said it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, one of uh, the sort of one of the critiques that was brought to him by us and by actually like a number of other people too when they suddenly switched the bid from 24 to 28 was you know do you have any concerns about extending the time frame and he said some really like offensive flippant shit about like if like, there's like
1: a, a disaster or something or like an yeah, emergency yeah he was have, like yeah. oh it's an
2: emergency like none of these places are going to disappear and then increasing we just had the biggest fire. Yeah,
0: I I was going to say, like you said, UCLA isn't going to, like, disappear, but with the Woolsey fire, like, that tore right through the heart of L.A. Uh, The Skirball fire, like, literally did light some of UCLA on fire. Um, You know, do you think Eric's, like, campaign for president or even his current mayorship is, like, equipped to handle that sort of stuff? Like, is the city equipped to, like, deal with that in the context of the bid?
1: I don't think so. And I think, you know, they have a lot of money and he has brand name recognition and he's, like, a telegenic schmoozy guy, but, like, I don't think... I don't think his absenteeism, his ignoring of all sorts of issues, his his like cavalierness about like climate change and disaster and all disasters that could, could and probably may well happen to us in the next 10 years. Um, I think that brand of just kind of just confident kind of neoliberalism, I think in theory, like either we're all going to die a lot faster or like there's going to be some pushback and this like kind of more emergent left is going to make some gains and make convince a lot of people how foolish that kind of political philosophy is. And, um, I don't think he's going to be president anytime soon. If he's lucky, he'll get like on a VP candidate. If it's like a non, like, non-white person white man like he'd be the balance out to kind of get some of your like centrist like men to vote for whoever the president but but uh, you know but regardless but i think i think he will be scrutinized i think he's going to try to say all the right things but i think people are going to ding him like they did on that dateline NBC thing of like and that was the biggest softball puff piece in general and they made him look like garbage they said how can you run for president when you have this homelessness problem it's that simple Everyone across the political spectrum can wrap their head around it and see what a nightmare it is. And there's 10 other problems that are just as bad, I'd argue. And, like, he has done nothing. He's been in public office for 17 years, I think, since 2001. What, like, what is his legacy? It's, the like, the Olympics. But we obviously we don't consider that a legacy item. I don't think it's going to play well. I think he has a lot of money in PR, and, like, he'll try to spin it as best as he can. But I think just it's there like he has a long he's 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 touting oh mayors get things done mayors are going to drive drive innovation but like let's look at your let's look at your career as a mayor mm. and i think you know it's anecdotal but you see online you see again like across the political spectrum no one is happy unless you're a developer unless or like one of his donors or Diane Feinstein unless you're one of these like very select hyper wealthy people like your Jimmy Kimmel or so your DJ Khaled or like whoever um I don't think he speaks to you. And I think once you actually start paying attention to him more, it doesn't work out. And like, that's what we're hoping to do. And like, we're hoping to like, kind of take back the city, I think in in various ways and work with groups to like make these things. um, You know, obviously you saw what happened with Amazon a few weeks ago and seeing some of the uproar there, even though, you know, the wheels are in motion to kind of have that moving, but I think they'll be met with a lot of resistance. And I think, If you in two years in a lot of american cities if you try to push similar things it might be harder or that's what we're hoping for is that like all sorts of projects like this just become because they are they're ludicrous Mm -hmm. like when the new york media people when they announced it a couple weeks ago that like amazon was going to be building there they were they were rightly so like just outlining all the ways that this is terrible Mm -hmm. and i think their mayor is going to have a huge problem Mm -hmm. dealing with that
0: and that actually leads me to my last question is We're looking back on, you know, not just the nine episodes we did previously, but the last several months and several years that you all have been organizing and resisting this. Um, You know, what does this look like in the future? And what do you feel like you can bring to this larger struggle? Like, how can people organizing across the country learn from what you all are doing here?
1: Well, the easiest thing we can do is kind of be just get in touch with people as soon as they're starting to, like, organize. Like, we see it in Denver right now. There's about they're up for the 2030 bid and I think they have like four or five months to collect signatures to get a ballot measure going. So like I mean, we caught them the other day and they have like five Twitter followers, but like we'll give them whatever we can, I think. Um, And then building out other places, you know, we might send some of us to Tokyo next year. We might have other people in cities where the bid has already been awarded. But what we have more control over is helping people stop bids very early in the process. It becomes a lot harder in our situation once you have them. but we're we're talking to cities on both sides and like and we've seen it's just exponentially i think over the last few bidding cycles it's just gotten harder and harder and harder so if they run out of cities to bid for 2026 and 2030 that doesn't cancel negate like the 2028 plans per se but it makes it look really it makes it politically look weird like why are we the last city on earth that took this stupid fucking thing you know what i mean like it's like why do we why do we have that um
2: getting back to what Johnny said about sort of taking back th- like our collective right to the city, I mean, that's one of the things that we've emphasized since the beginning of this campaign and that we'll continue working on is that, um, you know, we don't oppose the Olympics in a vacuum. We oppose the, the issues that already exist in our city that we know the Olympics will exacerbate. And we started this campaign with our coalition partners because we were all already organizing around and against displacement, police militarization, criminalization of poverty and homelessness. Um, And we know that whether the Olympics come or go, or when they come and go, those things will exist. So, you know, the more we can also continue to put our energies and organize people around that in the city, Um, basically, like, how do we make LA inhospitable? the Olympics. And that's by creating a city that's strong and democratic and controlled by the people who live here and that benefits us like that. That's sort of the the ultimate like win-win because um, that's that's a city that won't host the Olympics.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, we're just every day we're getting smarter. And, you know, I want to emphasize how little um, the bid committee and bid boosters have been doing in the last, you know, 14 since the bid's been like. Uh, announce we meet all the time we talk about this stuff wherever where we can be you know we have we have a certain like ceiling of our capabilities and resources obviously we don't have 60 million dollars so we don't have a million people but the people who are engaged I think are at this point like experts in a lot of senses on these things way more so than anyone else we're talking to as many people as we can locally nationally internationally and I think that's what a grassroots campaign looks like. It's gonna break, I think. Hopefully, in a few years, and we don't know when and where. We're never gonna be as cavalier and arrogant as the bid and pretend like, oh, well, UCLA is not gonna disappear. Like UCLA might disappear, and if that happens, we'll be ready to deal with that. If we have like, if we have a climate event, if we have something else happen, like we'll be ready for that. Like I don't think they will be, and we will politicize the hell out of it. <laughs> like, like yeah. to be frank, like.
2: It's been clear to us from the beginning that this is something that was designed to go on autopilot like the the their goal and this is something to like tie back to the survey like one of the reasons it makes sense to us that we didn't find a majority of people excited or supporting the bid is because the bid has done literally no work to inform people or get them excited like this is something that was designed to kind of pass through under the wire and just kind of show up one day Um, and so and that's kind of how they've continued to run it you know like as Johnny mentioned they have not been making any effort to actually like get people in the city excited it's been these kind of like weird low level like $350 a pop things at the LA eighty four Foundation or that the you know, these sort of like elite professional associations, you know, like of designers and architects have been meeting. They have not been doing any sort of public outreach or making any updates or releasing they should any be. new information.
1: Like if they were doing like they like they, they could be covering their ass a lot better like but they they aren't. And they can't. Gonna, I mean yeah. I
2: think it's like they just they don't <laughs> they don't have the range. Like they don't have the goods, right? Like what can they tell people? Like this is something that was very I think You know, to give them some credit, they're smart enough to know that if they were actually to go out there and try to inform people and get them excited, like they have nothing to offer. So their best bet right now is just to like keep people in the dark for as long as possible, which is not a winning strategy when you have like this much runway in time.
4: So uh, the other thing that that you see just from like like reading about like various Olympics is is that the Olympics is an inherently reactionary institution. Like whatever, like they 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 create the same problems over and over again. So they'll create an environmental disaster Two or four years later, they'll come back with being like, "This is uh, this is the Green Olympics," or if they have a budgetary problem, they'll say, "This is a low-cost Olympics," or if this is a, or if this is an anti-democratic uh, Olympics, like they come back later, like you know, they're, they're an authoritarian city, then they come come back later to a democratic city, being like, "Oh, this is this is an inclusionary Olympics." They do this over and over again. And you can see this happening in the '60s, the '70s, the '80s, and like one thing that we're creating is an institutional memory that that says like that can say instantly like, "No, this is absurd," because they they do the minimum amount of astroturfing available which is what this that conference was it was astroturfing it's green like you know it's like green astroturfing like we're doing social justice yeah. Right, and, and when you like you look at it, like they, they don't talk about displacement, they don't talk about criminalization. they didn't they, I think they, they might have mentioned abuse, abusive behavior, but, but exactly it's just it, and all it takes is a little bit of, of being able to say no, like, like this is a lie, right yeah. and, and being able to, to, to show other people how to say no, this is a lie it goes a long way as we saw in Calgary.
0: All right, well, it, I want to say, you know, thank you all for taking the opposite route and getting people active and engaged and involved and, like, actually thinking about their city and what this means because, like, so many people in L.A. already assume the Olympics is just a done deal because they're just on autopilot. So uh, for all of you who have been listening, uh, I hope you've gotten a chance to listen to the nine previous episodes. Uh, you can always check in with knock.la, com nolympicsla.com uh, for lots of updates and we'll have more stuff coming at you from not just nolympics but from Knock and from Ground Game so from all of us here at Ground Game uh, thank you very much for listening and from
1: nolympics LA thank you so much this has thank been great
5: you.
0: to learn more and get involved please visit NoOlympicsLA.com and NOC.LA
5: out. Um.